0: <laughs> Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the eastas? What's happening? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast. This is my uh my show. Happy New Year to you. Almost. Almost happy new year. Can we make it? Can we, I, mean, I for, for a second there, I, I, for some reason I thought it already happened, but it's, it's on, it's this weekend. We're, we're going to make it. I think we're going to make it to another year. I think it's going to happen. I hope it, 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 I don't see how it can be better, but I hope it can be better. Uh, I don't know what, what, what you've been doing, but it's been sort of interesting out here in LA. Uh, we've had uh, this year, we, ha- we've had uh, fires and weirdness, weirdness in the skies. Just the other day, weirdness in the skies, I didn't get to see it, Uh, but I like even though that NASA put out an explanation about it, that people still insist it's a a UFO and that's a cover-up. The propensity and desire to engage in completely uh, speculative investigative uh, theories, i.e., conspiracy theories because they're so much more gratifying and interesting and have closure than uh than the truth which can sort of trickle out and sometimes is not as stimulating so why not just believe the stuff with an edge that is full of bullshit why not just do that because that that feels good that's a package sure that explains everything that explains everything it was a ufo that explains it sure the fbi is a uh, a completely corrupt organization that explains it. Oh my God. So today on the show, I got a couple of friends of mine who wrote books, a couple of friends of mine who are, uh, you know, getting into the, the writing guys I've known for a long time. My buddy, uh, uh, Steven Danziger, Steve Danziger, Dr. Steve's been on the show many times. He's got a second book coming out. And, uh, my buddy Mike Marcus. These guys are sober pals, sober friends of mine. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little more bit about a little, a little more about them as I, I head into the intro. All right, heading into the New Year's uh, weekend, be careful, please. Don't die, uh, unless you want to. But even then, you know, think it through. Think it through. If you're sober, don't drink. All right, it's not worth it. If you're a drunk, all right, be careful. If you want to drink, be careful. You know, they, thank God, man. The designated driver thing. That pressure's off with all these uh, companies like Lyft. You know, like, <laughs> you don't need. they Designated driver trip is over. You just got to call a service. Just call a service. Don't die this New Year's. And I'll talk to you a little bit on Monday on New Year's Day about it. Uh, we're going to do another show. New Year's Day, we're doing another thing. It's uh, basically going to be New Year's Day with the Marins, which is... uh it's a collection of phone calls that I've had with my parents, my brother, mostly from the first couple of years of WTF. We're looking back, looking back. But I wanted to share before we get into the guest today. I want to share an email I got that I thought was kind of funny and and, and a close call. And, and I'm grateful this guy's all right. Uh, Subject line, weird affirmation. Mark, I was en route to Spokane, Washington last Friday to pick up my daughter from college for Christmas break. Listening to an episode of WTF. The road was snowy with one clear lane and I was trying to get to the mountain pass before sundown when I hit some black ice at about 70 per. My forerunner slid off the road, slammed into a rock outcropping and flipped end for end, landing 50 yards away on the roof. In the silence that followed the deafening crash, I hung upside down in my seatbelt, staring at the deflated airbags, wondering if I was dead. Then I could hear Marilyn Manson explaining why he shaved his eyebrows. I've never been so happy to hear something so ridiculous. I crawled out the passenger side window. Not a scratch on me. Just wanted to let you know that your work reaches people in unexpected ways. I'm a big fan. Keep on keeping on, sir. That's from Ednor. Well, you're, you're welcome, man. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. But that that is a testament to you know vehicle design. Holy shit! And good for you for wearing the seatbelt. And good for those airbags for popping out. And probably you probably got a little you probably a little sore though, right? Probably a little sore now. I bet you are. Good story though. Good story. I'm glad you made it. I really am. I, happy ending on that one, right? So listen, here's how this is going to go. Uh, my buddy Dr. Steve, um, he's a therapist. He's also my sponsor uh, and also uh, a good friend. And uh, he's he's written this book. It's out now. Uh, he wrote it with Dr. Jamie Marich called EMDR Therapy and Mindfulness for Trauma-Focused Care. We'll explain what that's all about in this talk. He is an EMDR therapist, among other things. And it's an interesting uh, PTSD treatment. that, And that PTSD can range from... Childhood, maybe emotional to you know, full-on combat trauma. Uh, it's very interesting um, focus in terms of uh, psychology. So we're going to talk about that now. This is me and Dr. Steve. <laughs> Dr. Steve. Yes. Aside from the book, which is specific, but not not it's for everybody. It's you know what? It's really this
1: new book. Is geared more towards clinicians. Yeah. But people who are in EMDR therapy or those who are interested in EMDR therapy and also especially interested in mindfulness will find it clarifying um, in terms of what they're looking for. In clarifying.
0: Yeah. Like, okay, so you're saying EMDR practitioners. And what does that stand for again? Because we we've gone over this, and, and you and I did a series of EMDR EMDR sessions. But I felt that it was somewhat effective mm. in uh, some areas. That you know, mm. you just like kind of go in there and you know track down the the the, the bit, you track down the uh, the sort of um, the thing that's vibrating. Yes, sending out uh, you know panic. So this is like a like a, a an SOS. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's a it's a SOS memory. The amygdala's on fire. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Little bit not, not complete wildfire, but there's just one little part. Yeah. Can't get it out. Can't get it out. A lot of, a lot of my clients are of your description, which is uh-huh. like a
1: long time sober and or a long time doing therapy. Yeah. And then there's these one or two or three or four stuck points that no therapy, no twelve step, no nothing seems to move and then the EMDR therapy seems to move it.
0: But how but how but it's so easy to sort of want to classify it as some crackpot bullshit. Yeah. Well
1: that's my first instinct when I was uh first introduced to it. Uh, It is uh, seen as an evidence-based treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder by the World Health Organization. It has a definition as a psychotherapy, a complete psychotherapy, according to the World Health Organization. So they're, So they're on board? Everybody's on board. All the branches of the military, the VA, everybody says this is not crackpot, snake oil, goofballery. This is a psychotherapy. We see results. I see total results and the research also shows results
0: well my my like here's here's my take on it when we did it is that you either use um sounds or light to distract a part of the brain uh through repetition so you can get right in there and then you ask for you kind of track down some trigger words some trigger memories while you're doing this while you're distracting the other part of the brain what does it do So,
1: first of all, the the mechanism of action, of course, like all the rest of brain science, is largely theoretical. But there's a number of different theories as to what's happening. So that bilateral stimulation, the back and forth, Mm. some of it may be the integration of right brain and left brain. Mm -hmm. Another thing with the bilateral stimulation is that it produces this sort of mindfulness-based effect.
0: Bilateral stimulation through movement or light. So eye movements, eye movements, or tones
1: back and forth, or taps back and forth. Then there also is the orienting response, which is something found in nature amongst all us animals. And what's happening is, is that we're always scanning back and forth for danger. And so 98% of the time, there is no danger. The 1% of the time where there is someone that I'm attracted to, that's the go towards excitement. There's that. Then there's the 1% of the time where I'm a deer in the forest and it is a bear. So I run. Right. Now, if I'm a deer in the forest, I I run and I get away and I'm not going to be talking to my dear friends about the bear incident because I can't. I'm not going to be on a shrink's couch five years later. Uh I'm just going to, it's going to take about an hour for all the hormonal changes and all the cortisol and the adrenaline, all the rest to kind of get out of my system. I might even violently shake at the end, but then when I'm done, I'm not looking up 102 times an hour instead of 100. I'm still in that same orienting response. So, what happens with us people is that sometimes there's a, um, you know, the, the wiring doesn't work quite right, and the, the smart part of our brain, you know, something terrible happens, and we go, oh, that was awful. I'm never going to think about that again, which is impossible. It basically goes and gets, it stays in the amygdala or the basal ganglia or the body, somewhere where they, we can't have agency over it. And it could either be sort of completely below the level of consciousness, or we can get triggered easily by anything that resembles it.
0: I'm so you not- say there's physical liabilities to uh, um, to repressing trauma and and that repression either happens from survival necessity or conscious avoidance. yes, and but it can have it can make you sick. It can make you uh, have stomach problems, headache problems, uh, depression, and- anxiety, addiction. What happens
1: is that you know the 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 trauma response becomes coded in, and so our amygdala, our basal ganglia, our, our fight or flight part of our brain yeah. keeps on responding any time there's just an indication of
0: something similar to what was before. So in that way, it reactivates the uh, the the vibration the bad vibration yeah whatever the sensations the
1: physical sensations the emotional content and then what happens is that the reaction that we have to the current trauma then sort of cements or snowballs the past trauma which snowballs the current and now we're in a cycle and i need a drink
0: you know for instance or i need to kill myself right or i need to jerk off or i need to uh Hurt somebody. All the ways that we might act out in
1: order to avoid uh, the feelings that come with that fight or flight response that is so
0: uncomfortable. Well, tell me about this cortisol. Just how much can I take?
1: Well, you probably have some of it coursing through your body like all the time. I do. I'm talking about you, me. I know yeah, yeah, yeah. why.
0: Because uh, you're just a, you're an anxious guy, and what does uh, it do does it get me off? Does it is it elevating? Does it is there a physical? Does it what is what is cortisol in and of itself do? Well, it's it's part of the fight or flight response. It's part of that energizing that goes with uh, the adrenaline to right. get you ready to take care of business. So adrenaline and cortisol is the magic combo. So, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, there's more neurochemical changes, uh-huh. but, but those but are- those
0: are the ass kickers. I'm yeah, going to yeah. kick some
1: ass or I'm going to run fast. That's right. That's right. Those are my options. Yeah. Well, we got we to have
0: options. Can I need that energy for either of those things. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And then what happens is that the, the brain and the, the, the nervous system gets fooled and thinks everything is an emergency every you know like that's diagnosable PTSD but even below the threshold of PTSD right instead of uh, seeing a situation as like a difficulty that i can possibly solve using my cognitive and my limbic yeah, and my right, right. all of it i just see
0: it as this oh, emergency. emergency yeah oh that's me yeah oh got it you mean it's i got right. it oh the fucking tire the fucking tire is flat yeah. that, but then there's also the Maybe not an emergency, but like, why the fuck does this happen to me? All the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I right. Maybe twice it's happened in my life. Exactly. Why it's am the I the guy, like I got a uh, like a bad avocado this morning, mm-hmm. and now the tire's flat. Mm-hmm. It's all fucking connected. Yeah, the avocado and the tire and some other thing from when you
1: were six years old that wasn't an avocado or a tire,
0: but released it the was, same it, sort of response. My dad didn't show up mm-hmm. for the thing Yeah, when I had to be at the other thing. Yeah that so that's where it's wired in it's that's wired in, it in and then whatever it, that is and that's mundane obviously but but nonetheless impactful mundane
1: yes to the outside observer but in your experience your gut your soul your psyche
0: that's where it quote-unquote all started okay before we get into the new you know the nuances of EMDR what about the approach of suck it up you pussy yeah. Um, I. Well, you don't you know, like the the tough love thing? I know pussy's a dicey word now. Suck it up, you wuss. Well, I you know, the suck it up part doesn't go with me
1: either. So. Man up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but- Shut up. But the 45 guy made a speech like that at veterans, you know, that, that that's all they need to do to heal their PTSD. The 45
0: guy? Yeah, the 45 guy. The name we do not yeah, I, I do dare not, not say. Dare not say his dare name?
1: Dare not say his name. 45 asterisk. Uh-huh. So anyway, so so no. That yelling at people
0: doesn't work. The problem is that people can suck it up, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be better people. There's any recovery there or there's any sort of progress made or any treatment made. Mm. you know, sucking it up is a way that people live uh, and they may be relatively good people. But they, they're probably living in, in chronic trauma and chronic pain. Well, that's the deal. So people who are chronically living in
1: the survival response yeah. as opposed to being able to. So when Francine Shapiro, who developed EMDR therapy, when she first started talking about it and to this day, she talks about how the therapy is designed to help people live a more adaptive life. Uh Right. So what we do is we come up with these maladaptive, but they're adaptive at the time. Right? When I picked up a drink when I was twelve years old, it was a very adaptive move move for me. Yeah. I needed that drink. Sure. But then eventually it became, uh, and it was kind of a maladaptive response at the time. But then it really became maladaptive. And then through my becoming sober and then also doing this kind of therapy, yeah, um, I was able to let go of those maladaptive uh responses and i was able to live or i am able to live a more adaptive life yeah but you're
0: also uh you know a practicing buddhist yes you've done recovery work in several different programs Mm -hmm. now you have the mdr like you know you're a guy like i've known you a long time you, you know that that is it's not a matter of trying a lot of things you're very diverse in the spectrum of your recovery but spiritually you know you've chosen the path of buddhism now I had uh, Thanksgiving dinner with a few Buddhists, mm. and uh, I gotta say, my feeling was like this feels a little weird. It feels a little stifled, a little muted, a little, uh, mm. a little uh, tamped down. Where's the drama? Yeah, yeah. Where's the drama? So, first of all, there's a lot of flavor. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Buddhism, but I couldn't quite feel figure out what it was until I left. I'm like, oh, they're 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 holding. They're, they're, they're balancing They're What are they doing? So there it is. So it's, there's a difference between squashing it all down and being able to
1: go namaste y'all. And then, which is not for me, like the way to go. Right. That's just repressing yeah. stuff. And then, you know, lying to the world by saying, you know, like, yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Very, I'm balanced. A very popular approach. It's a very popular approach. And a little EMDR <laughs> therapy with mindfulness infused uh-huh. can go a long way in working with that. Yeah. But, um, you know, so like the Buddhist approach, the the actual, the the, the core teaching of the Buddha was the four noble truths. And the first truth is that there is suffering. But the the translation of that is not just suffering, but also just unsatisfactoriness. So it's that continuum of, oh, it's not enough. Oh, I like that. I don't like that. Oh, God, I just don't really feel so great about life. Or I'm in the fear or the disdain for old age sickness and death right the big three yeah so then the second truth says and that's the diagnosis so the second truth says the symptoms and causes of this suffering are not the pain of life but rather our response and reaction to it so it's the craving the clinging the attachment to outcomes and things and people and all that so, those first two truths are like, they're gnarly and they're messy. The third truth says you can actually end suffering. And then like any good psychologist, you know, uh, or spiritual seeker or teacher, right? the, the answer is you got to go at the symptoms and more, more than that, the causes. So, you need to end craving, clinging, attachment, and, and aversion. Right. So, what you might be sensing if those Buddhists are true, truly, you know, sort of, not, I'm not going to use the word enlightened, but if they're, you know, on the path. Is that they have enacted that third truth, and they did that through the fourth truth, which is the prescription, which is the Eightfold Path, which leads to these four qualities, loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, like taking joy in your joy, and equanimity, which is that thing that you are sensing Unless they were, of course, just repressing everything, and they're just going to break I, out in well, a bad
0: case of self-hate or. Hate I don't. Criminals. I don't know. You, you know, but uh, y- y- it's hard for me to talk to uh, uh, people on on the path sometimes because, you know, there, there's part of me that's sort of like, what's, what's going on? No, seriously. But you know, where you, are you, where are you at? I, I get it, but so. But my question
1: is, so, but how do you experience talking to me? We talk a lot. We've been talking yeah. a lot for years.
0: I know what's going on
1: with you. Though. So. It, <laughs> <laughs> right and and <laughs> am i am i legitimately equanimous i don't do you know do you,
0: you really want to get in <laughs> no, no we don't have to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yes you are i think i know i do think you are i but but i do see you apply it in the moment right exactly the, you know it, it, it the thing is is that there's a vigilance to it mm. And and so the
1: deal the deal is is that the mindfulness meditation part that's a way of getting into the bot the experience in the body in order to settle the body and to also give the cognitive um, part of the brain a different way of relating to yeah. itself and to the body sensation the rest of it and over time it changes the way a per- it really
0: does change the way a person kind of thinks things through and. No, no. I, 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 look. I'm, I, I'm a big believer in, in all of it, and, and, and I do think that you, you're relatively spiritually fit, and, and you do do the work. I, you know, I, did, I find it to be impressive. I mean, I, I try to emulate how you would handle things when I, I, when I detach uh, uh, appropriately, mm. mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just shut down. Right. Uh, detaching and letting go. Now, but still, again, instead of like man up, suck it up, you know, shut up, uh, what about like, hey, how about like not reading so much into everything? Why don't you... Yeah, you know, give it a rest. Uh, so that's the thing you're with- are overthinking
1: it. Right, exactly. So that's the thing with EMDR therapy and other trauma-based and body-based therapies is that uh, body-based, limbic-based, and cognitive-based, right? Because everything you're saying right now is talking to the cognitive part of the brain. Yeah. If all the information and all the feelings and everything there is below the level of consciousness kind yeah. of sitting there, then the, the a cognitive part of the brain actually blood flow slows down or, you know, during fight or flight, uh-huh. it can even stop in parts of the neocortex where it's kind of like- it, we have no use for your analysis here. We have to get away from the tiger or whatever's really? going on. Oh, absolutely. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, the, the uh, analogy I like to use is uh, when a person's in a coma, God forbid, right? Right. Every three, what a coma is, is all the parts of the system yeah. shutting down that are not necessary in order to maintain life right in order you know just I need to be breathing I need to so well, well, all the energy oh. is put that way so with this it's like in fight or flight I don't need to analyze what make of cars coming towards me I, and so that shuts down literally to put all the energy towards you might want to try to remember
0: flight. so you file a court. police
1: report exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it could probably end up with you not having the
0: opportunity to file a police report because you're too busy. See just so, this yeah. conversation, if you had this with yourself at that moment, you're not good. We're done. All right. well, let's talk specifically. so so tell me precisely what the MDR does, and then let's talk about, you know, you know, how this how you've applied what we've talked about in this book to to people like this is not just for. I mean trauma focused care. Those it's a specific title: EMDR therapy and mindfulness for trauma focused care. But that could be fucking like a teacher, yes, in a way. It, like mm-hmm. it, it's going to be important information for anybody who's dealing with particularly potentially volatile uh, situations or 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 people who. Who, who are dealing with people that are going to need guidance. So in that way, any sort of leader or any sort of person uh, who's dealing with other people can be helped by the book. Yes. If they look at the
1: book, there's a huge, uh, not a huge chunk of it, there's a chunk of it that's designed for step-by-step instructions for a licensed person who's been trained in the therapy to do. Uh-huh. But the rest of the book is absolutely you know pertinent. And I want to say that if someone is thinking of going into EMDR therapy, this is just my recommendation that the book is helpful in outlining what I believe and Jamie my co-author believes to be the best practices for achieving best results with EMDR so you could go to your EMDR therapist and go, hey do you do it this way? And you know, give them a little guidance. Oh. Of your so own. when
0: we did it, we used the, uh, the, the, what did I use? Did I have things? You had the tappers, the little buzzers. Tappers. You were doing tactile. And what, what how's that,
1: how does that go again? So it, the the therapy is an eight phase therapy. The first phase is just getting the the history, and we did that together. Where um, and I do it with all my clients, where you're mindfully getting their hi- history, and not just like a general psyche. Uh, well, when psych- you
0: use the word mindful so much, what does that mean? Mindfully getting their history, as opposed to what? Uh,
1: so uh, the way that we get the history is very specific. Mm-hmm. So an uh, 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 attunement and a mindfulness, will, uh, and not getting taken off the path. Yeah. Will be very helpful to the therapist doing it. Focus. So the focus and that sort of non-judgmental awareness of what's going on, right? And an ability to move with the client, let the client lead, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of mindfulness on the part of a therapist because you know the, we're trained. A lot of the training we get in school is like ask this many questions and get this information. All we want is some information about general sort of needs and goals around the trauma, uh-huh. and then getting those target memories. And but what if you don't
0: know what the trauma is? Maybe some of this experiencing symptoms of PTSD or 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 panic or anxiety or or addiction, and you you, how do you go digging for the trauma if you're not going to spend hours? Exactly.
1: So that's the beauty for me. That's the beauty of the therapy. It's a very structured kind of history taking that allows you to find those pertinent points whether they be uh, easily identifiable traumas, whether they just be adverse life events that are stuck in that way, and then be able to have that as your material for moving forward, as opposed to getting into a long explanation within the context of the history and going over those details over and over and over again, which for many people is just re-traumatizing.
0: Yeah, because I think when we did it, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I was able to isolate a couple of moments that have stuck with me in, in the way of sort of like, why did I, why did that happen? Why did I let that happen? Why didn't I make a different choice? Mm-hmm. You know, blame myself. Yes. You know, why did I find myself in, in that situation? Why was it perpetrated upon me? Yes. And that's, so that's where, why when we do the history taking, there's a lot of
1: working with the negative beliefs about self currently mm-hmm. related to those kind of memories and to find those memories that are attached to that negative belief, because that's often the
0: best pathway. So as I'm talking to you, I'm doing the tactile thing, which is what I'm, how does it work like if I was holding the tappers, what was you say? Well, yeah, you have the tappers, and what happens is
1: I will uh, set up the target by asking you uh, what's the worst part of the image You know, the the image that represents the worst part of the memory. Right. Then the negative belief you have about yourself now as you think about that memory. Uh Then the positive belief that you would like to have and how true that is in this moment, which is often very low, which is more activating. Yeah. Then uh, the emotions, like what are you feeling? Sad, mad, glad right now. Yeah. As you consider this. And then uh, the um, level of disturbance, zero to ten. And then I ask for any body sensations that you're feeling. And it's at that point that I go, okay, so now I'm gonna start the tappers and just notice whatever you notice as it, as the tappers are going. And I turn on the tappers and that's a silent part. So that's where it really, when I first got trained in it, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is actually a mindfulness practice. Wait, what is do a really I don't remember, point. you feel it? Yeah, like, uh, I turn them on yeah. and they're like pulsers. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. G- 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 yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. So you get into that place. And then- when the tappers stop, you take a deep breath, and yeah. then I ask you, what are you noticing now? Yeah. Right, mindfulness in this right, moment. Right. So, And it could be memories, body sensations, it could be whatever you're noticing now. And nine times out of 10, after you say that, I say, all right, notice that. And we do the tappers again. And the the material moves along,
0: and what I'm listening for as a therapist is the material moving. So, as a therapist, as a practitioner, as somebody who works with uh, in drug rehab, but in, in private practice, yes. um, so what's changed over the last year, what do you, what's happening, what do you see uh, the, since the new uh, regime, uh, how has that impacted humans in your therapy practice? So um, there is, uh, what I'm experiencing
1: in my own experience and then in the experience of the people who come to my office is that there's a great number of people who are in the middle of uh, diagnosable PTSD that didn't exist for them, over a year ago, the constant inundation with information that is threatening—if a person has already sort of like a trauma history background—they're
0: volunteering for it because they're looking on their phone.
1: Well, and but and at the same time, right? There's that a little bit of that, you know, maladaptive but adaptive behavior of if I look on the phone, maybe this will all stop. You know, like yeah. that, that primitive part of the brain that's like, I better check, or I, right, I, better, right, I gotta sure. keep myself safe. Gotta keep myself safe. Right. Right. So volunteering, yes, but, you know, no differently than anyone who's addicted to heroin. Right. And as much as, you know, like that Buddhist formulation, craving, clinging, all the rest of it, you know, addiction is just addicts do craving and clinging and aversion better than other people. Yeah. Like we're all engaged in that endless. So looking at the phone over and over again. Right. You know, eating food over and over again. But you're
0: seeing real symptoms of PTSD. Oh my God.
1: All all the time. I'm not, you know, I... I, What are those? I never lack for clients to begin with, but it's for the last year, people coming in who may not ordinarily have come in for services before. What are those symptoms? Um, Hypervigilance, um, uh, nightmares, daymares, um, re-experiencing either of previous traumas or anything that's happened over the last year, like they'll, uh, you know, if something in particular really got to them, because perhaps it impacted them as an individual right. or as a group member of a, mm-hmm. of a certain group. People are vulnerable to lots of other mental and emotional, uh, health and spiritual problems. Right, lack of meaning—that's a lot of what's been coming into my office. Like, how can I make meaning out of this
0: insanity? You know, again, for or why or or what? What? How do you sustain any sort of hope? Yes, and and what is the point? Mm-hmm. And. Can what I do in my little life, is it even relevant to or important anymore? What's the point of doing it? Yes. And that's why I find this
1: particular type of therapy to be helpful because it's acknowledging all of that and then taking steps to address each part of that. You know, the cognitive part, the emotional part, the spiritual part, you know, the meaning, the existential part, you know, all of it is, uh, sort of a, it's a soup or uh, Jamie likes to say a tangled ball of yarn or one of our clients, one of her clients said, it's a tangled ball of yarn. And what the therapy does is it untangles the yarn and then you can address the pieces of it. And I find too, you know, my own EMDR recovery of my own, and then also training people all the time and working with people and they do feel better. And I get to see, I actually get to see these results. You know, I see that people are able to Uh, find a way and you said it right how can my little uh, world or how can my little uh, contribution to the world have any impact on all that is going on and in the end it was never any different before anyway right right like 2600 years ago when buddha was teaching you know to people who didn't have phones yeah you know he was like your little life or your small contribution you're interconnected with everybody and we're all impacting each other all the time so let's why don't we uh, try and take best care of ourselves let us be mindful let us be caring let us let us be loving kind and compassionate with each other right mm. and so that's all the more important today well I hope we do alright <laughs> me too I'm rooting for us
0: oh good Yeah.
1: good talking to you man yeah always good to talk to you
0: So that was dr steve the book is called mindfulness for trauma focused care you can get that where you get books and as he said it's a it's a good uh it's a good primer to a lot of things even if you're not in the uh in the uh, the uh, practitioner racket so now mike marcus is another ba- buddy of mine mike's been through a lot of shit he's tried a lot of things he's been up and down you know we've been through some shit together he's been there for me uh in some ways we've had our our moments of uh aggravation we've had fights and we've uh, we've come around we've come through it all we've been through some shit and uh you know he's a he's a friend of mine and he's written this this book about primarily about his old man and god knows I'm, I'm sensitive to old man books it's called number one son and other stories uh by Michael Marcus Michael Marcus yeah mike and i met in the in the rooms as they say And uh, this is is a good conversation. This is a good conversation. Uh, The book, Number One, Son, and Other Stories is available now for pre-order. You can get it on Amazon. Comes out in January. This is me and my pal, Mike Marcus. Mike Marcus. Michael Marcus. (laughs) What's up, buddy? Author. Author of a book now. You did it. I can't
2: believe I did it. No, you have no idea. You've tried a lot of things, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You've done that's for. I think that would actually cover a whole podcast. Well, we're on a podcast. Shit jobs. I
0: can't. Well, I can't remember. Like you, you were talking when you walked in that you remember. You know when we met. I'm trying to remember when that was.
2: Where was it? It was in 2005 or six. Oh, really? Yeah, you were a cake baker for a meeting. The, oh,
0: over it out, over it right, Brunswick, right. yes, Brunswick. That's right. And you were this meaty, beefy fucking like you. I don't think you were roided out or anything. But I wasn't
2: roided. But I still had an image I was carrying from the past. You know?
0: Yeah, you were like some sort of badass or something. I, I
2: thought I was. <laughs> you know, we go. To, I. I'm not going to yeah. say we. I go through these periods yeah. of like, and it's funny because the book outlines some of this. Of, like, hanging out with R&B guys and hanging out with, like, Armenian gangsters and just different people that used to rub off on me.
0: But, but yeah, but, I mean, I have that quality, too, that, like, you know, you're kind of, you're not fully baked as a person. Right. Because of, uh, you know, because of being emotionally shattered by uh, fathers or mothers. So you kind of latch on to anybody with some sort of sense of, identity a strong identity absolutely and and obviously you and i are not going to
2: gravitate towards the healthy examples not no (laughs) never (laughs) you know you said something once when we were talking about talking about daddy stuff yeah and it's like, I'm looking for, are you my daddy? Oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah every yeah. relationship.
0: Like a kid lost at a mall. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah.
2: once you really see that, it, first of all, it's really gross and disgusting because it's like, wow, I've been looking for a daddy figure. And-
0: well, I mean, yeah, like, like I think that we can change it over to father figure when, you know, the daddy figure, like, I'm not looking for someone to take care of me. Not a sugar daddy, but right, an emo- right.
2: a guy that emotionally be like, Right, right, man. yeah, I can Is guide everything you. everything
0: okay? Yeah, yeah, right. You're right. okay, and I can show you the right thing to do. Right. You, you need to ice kid (laughs) you hang out with criminals it can't you can't get that from a pimp but no but
2: like but your father was a nut case horrible man i'm sorry (laughs) listen my father was a horrible man and i didn't really know that until he died because i was under the delusion you held it that long you had him up on a pedestal for that long. It wasn't a pedestal. It was just this really false sense of forgiveness and acceptance.
0: But but also, I guess you probably identified with him somehow. I mean, yeah. you know, at some point, you're, there's part of you, there's some part of you, the kid in you always looks up to that guy, no matter, no matter how much you find out about his moral Absolutely. bankruptcy.
2: Absolutely. And there was so many different father figures. Like I said, I think I had a false sense of, acceptance yeah and this forgiveness that came through doing a lot of work in therapy sure. and a lot of work in whatever anonymous programs but i think that the, a lot of that was bullshit i oh. think it was like that kind of fake it till you make it or act oh sure as if sure sure
0: sure you just you got it intellectually and right
2: you played it out right and it sounded good to other but it people
0: was, yeah but it was disconnected from the emotional reality
2: Absolutely. but where'd you grow up I was born in Freeport, Long Island, and then we moved out here in the early 70s. First place was Thousand Oaks, then Fountain Valley. This about 15 different places till I landed in Hollywood, went to Hollywood High School.
0: But what did your dad do? He was like, because I remember- He we- was
2: a jeweler of Beverly, well, he was an auctioneer in Palm Springs. That's where it started. And we lived in a little town called Banning, right near an Indian reservation, yeah. of all things. Yeah. And my father met a man that worked at Caesar's Palace that started laundering money through his gallery. He's mm-hmm. like, I'll bankroll the gallery, but we're gonna launder some money from Caesar, Caesar's Palace Your, dad, your dad's gallery. <sighs> yeah, it was an auction gallery. He was like an auctioneer, but like a really smooth, not this, not cattle. Right. It was like, okay, we have a Piaget Polo here. And right. He had specific people he would point out in the audience
0: So he's a high-end cat. He's he's playing High-end cat. That was the
2: hustle. Right. He had Jews that had made it through the concentration camp with numbers on their arm. And he'd say things like, this is a special diamond nerve. Remember, it got our people out of the camps. Oh, my God. Like, do that kind of stuff. And they'd put their fist up. And sure, 10,000. You know, like, I learned very early on to be a split person. To be like that guy, very charming. Yeah. You know, I I was no problem with the women. Yeah. But this dark side of like stealing, lying, cheating, yeah. just real real debauchery. Yeah. There was constantly this, and I usually got found out. It was usually months or years later, but I always got found out, whether it was in a relationship or with a step-parent or something like that.
0: But what that. are you growing up with this guy, like this guy with this hustle like and your parents stayed married?
2: My parents didn't stay married. My father went on to have, well, now he was on his sixth wife, but early on, yeah. No, my mother literally to put us in her Impala at about two in the morning. How old were you? I think it was about five or six, 1969. I was yeah. five years old and literally ran away from my father with us in the car to her then therapist, yeah. Dr. Sigmund Lichter. Yeah. Uh, he lived in Huntington he had the whole 70s like sex therapist look Uh you know the Van Dyke Uh goatees are cool but a Van Dyke is that thing that really you know the turtleneck occasionally a pipe right and started with him with this whole like the real California scene of the early 70s was like orgies acid backgammon you know backgammon's in there Steelers wheel (laughs) yeah stuck in the middle with you Right, okay. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. And took us to nudist colonies. Now, that may sound really cool and hippie and all that, yeah, but so it, what, you're, at five. Not good. Right. So at five, you're in this environment where it was, where's the house? That house was in a town called Costa Mesa. Uh-huh which I'm sure we were the outcasts. You know, Orange County, especially then, they yeah. called, you know, Behind the Orange Curtain, right, right. was refrigerator fucking white. Yeah, And to have these people strutting in, a Jewish therapist, yeah. you know, my mother was like this party girl, like a lot like Shannon Stone's character in, in Casino, C- oh, Jesus. <laughs> like that kind of a person. Was she strung out? Uh, she wasn't strung out, but she liked her Tangere, her Coke, and her Quaaludes, I'm right. not gonna lie. Right. <laughs> Um, and you got a sister who's older unfortunately she OD'd and died yeah. she now see here's the thing if we can fake getting through our resentments or our anger yeah. until it finally explodes right I think we have a chance whether it's therapy or right. working through the 12 right. steps right but she couldn't pull that off Mark your sister no matter how hard she worked in therapy went to 12 step programs, she could not let go of the rage she had against my father and I think ultimately that's what killed her Cause you need to relief, dude. Ultimately, resentments will kill me. I don't know about you, but yeah. like I see them clearly now. You still have them. I still have them, and I think I'm trying to think. I, I stay spiritual by realizing I'm not the least bit fucking spiritual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like on a daily basis.
0: Well, I think like my resentments. I try to fo- like I you know like I I don't I I negotiate with them. So i think i have them but they're not as you know hot they're not as glaring well they're just they're just not you know they're they're tempered
2: right 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 do you know uh, because but i've seen that in you over the last 10 years because i saw you in your (laughs) fury do you remember we were driving i was looking for the uh the new New balance Balance store (laughs) store. yeah i remember i
0: remember what happened
2: you didn't even know where it was but but you were freaked out about the way i was going there
0: well, I remember because this was the first time we really hung out. That's right. And it was over in Pasadena somewhere. Did I?
2: I came and picked you up. I guess so. <laughs> we were both so insane. I was like shitty and filled with grief and knew that I was the major problem in my relationship. Right. And she had every reason to completely fucking divorce but and th- disown me. The wife yeah the ex-wife right exactly right this
0: is like right and then you know and you-, you
2: were like i was here yeah like curb stop you know yeah. curbside and you were like here with this whole other thing going and i try to latch on to that what was that? i wanted to be angry at her too you know oh, what i mean oh, oh, Fuck her, blah, blah, blah. Oh, like, you were blaming yourself i was blaming myself and i, I was, was like still- shit i wish i could borrow some of his rage it's not working for I- my situation I- oh hating my ex Oh, yeah, so we met in the middle. I didn't help you. Huh? I think it was 2006.
0: That's about right. Oh, yeah, that was horrible. That was right when you left, right? You couldn't help anybody. I couldn't help anybody. Who were you going to help? We are just going to get sneakers, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> what happened?
0: Um, but, like, I remember when I first saw you, I remember there was a story you told. I can't remember if you were pitching at a meeting or you were actually doing a show. Oh, because we used to see each other. You would go with Mishnah yeah. to do the moth, right, right. But there like, was it, but what was the story about the where, where you were you, I, the image I remember was you had to like you had to carry your jaw into the emergency room. Oh Jesus! Like you literally like
2: you you had to drive and your jaw was dislocated, broken in three places. Oh yeah. my God! Yeah, it was horrible. I was uh, newly sober, once again.
0: (laughs) How many years ago was that?
2: This was 20 years ago, and I still have TMJ from a result of that, I still grind my teeth. Um, I gotta wear a night guard and everything, that's another story. I was in front of a tattoo shop and I just got some work done and I traded the tattoo artist the Stax Volt box set. You know how amazing that box set is. and i said you know that's the real shit motown's like cracker shit yeah compared to this yeah and that fell on the ears of an aryan lowrider who had just gotten out of the shoe program in pelican bay uh-huh. the word cracker does not fly well right from a guy coming from the penitentiary yeah i had walked up to the subway i was smoking a cigarette and i see it for a second a mid-sentence you know when your jaw's open it only takes five pounds of pressure to break it Ugh. they you know they gave me the whole breakdown and i got hit as i was talking and i'm on the ground and the guy looks down at me and he's got like two of his lieutenants with him just scary motherfuckers mark yeah real aryan and i can handle myself right but you get sucker punched yeah, there's yeah. no way yeah and I look at it, look up at him, and he's looking me in the eye and he says, You got something to say about white people? I'm white. And I was just like baffled. I was confused. He helped me up and he said, Hey, you know, no big deal, right? And I was just like, yeah, holding my jaw, going, This is really bad. I gotta get out of here. Yeah. And I got in the car and I went to Midway Hospital. <laughs> the next thing I did is I called a friend of mine who was in Pelican Bay. Yeah. Rest in peace, baby Ron. Um, And I said, look, I think I wanna shoot this guy. I have a 380 at home, I'm fucking out of my mind. I I, I have a job that I need to speak at, talk to people. My jaw's gonna be wired up for fucking, you know, it's horrible. And he goes, you know, don't do that. Don't go near (laughs) that guy. He will take out your whole family. He will really make everything in your life disappear. And six months later, there was a whole article about him in this Aryan Brotherhood that was pretty much running the penitentiaries uh-huh. along with the M.A. Am I gonna get killed? Now? <laughs> Am I like giving information? I don't know. Anyways, that's what happened with the jaw. Of course, I lost my sobriety. I was making Soma and Vicodin smoothies. Yeah, Soma, <laughs> is that even around anymore? It's. I think it's gone. Wow! This is really Didn't good. they use it in Brave New World? Soma was the drug. That was the p- name of the drug in Brave World. But the I'm Britain just saying it's right. funny that they're like, hey, maybe we'll use this name for this particular thing. So you chose the higher road and didn't kill the guy
0: no i didn't kill the guy but but, i mean that's 20 years ago i don't think you're gonna get in trouble
2: for anything no and i think he died of hep c since Uh then so i think we're okay but that was
0: but that was the world you were in that was what you know that was what growing up the way you grew up reaped right but what was this sort of ongoing dynamic because now you're living with the hippie doctor who's sleeping with your mother and there's other people there and there's nudists (laughs) and it's the 70s and you're
2: five now what is your father doing He's like, what's your father? He's like- uh, I, that, At that from, time, my father was from, a traveling. He did uh, travel sales or from, something. But from looking at you, your father was probably like a burly Russian Jew. Romanian Jew, German Jew from the Bronx. State-raised lunatic. Did six years at Elmira Reformatory. State-raised? How the hell did that happen? What happened to um, his parents? He, My father really liked nice things when he was- a teenager yeah. and couldn't afford these things. Uh-huh. So he would steal them. Right. And I think he stacked up quite a bit of burglary charges. Oh, okay. And they sent him away. And who the hell knows what happened there? But I do know that he became a glo- Golden Gloves boxer while he was in the Reformatory. Oh, yeah? So he probably fought his way out of Did you really know his parents? Your grandparents? I knew them when I was young. They were pretty nice people i mean they were angry and you know romanian were they from... and german yeah. my grandmother was from germany and i believed basically got out just in time oh yeah she was like whatever you know whatever that upscale german jew was about at that time that's what she was about yeah and my grandfather owned a couple of delis in queens and in rockaway and there's a funny story about him in there too well what what he owned delis and he did tricky things with the meat to make the sandwiches look a little bigger and he he well, stacked the middle. He stacked the middle heavily. He used pickles that were left on the tables to make relish. Leftover seltzers were rebottled. Desserts were cu- were cut in a very specific way, both diagonally and horizontally. Yeah. my aunt told me the whole lowdown about this. This was just a couple of years ago. That I you, reconnected you've, with her.
0: Well, that that just sounds like a, a, is that normal? I guess sure, just, why not? They do that
2: at Langers, I guess, right?
0: Well, I would hope not. I mean, there are health codes now. <laughs> you're not supposed to you're not supposed to take the pickles off the table. But pickles, like because of the vinegar and everything else, I mean, they're fairly. uh,
2: I guess that's all right, but not retooling seltzer, right?
0: Not no generally you shouldn't retool seltzer, but you know, that kind of seltzer's not really used anymore. That's true. And but I, look, I, I worked at Gordon's Deli, and you know when I was in uh, Boston, and I went down to fill the pickle bin up, and there was a bucket of pickles, and I scooped out a bunch of pickles. There was a fucking mouse in there, dead wow. pickled okay. mouse, pickled okay. mouse. I told Shelly, I told the owner, I said, Shelly, this bag, this bucket's no good. I found a mouse in there, but I don't think Shelly threw that bucket out. Wow. Yeah, it's a vinegar.
2: A disin. I guess it's a disinfectant. Well, it pickles, so you're it, okay. I don't know if
0: it's. A, I guess it's a disinfectant. I don't know if it's. You know. It,
2: I. I'm sure you're okay. I'm sure it, you're okay. And I bet you that a pickled mouse is a delicacy somewhere. Come yeah, but on. I, but yeah, but that's, not here. No rationalization. but you know, I'm trying. But,
0: no, no. I, I know, but I'm just saying that you have dubious restaurant touring. <laughs> <laughs> Dubious management of delis doesn't surprise I guess surprise it's you. not
2: that big of a deal. Maybe Uncle, maybe uh, Grandpa Sam wasn't so bad. No, Grandpa Sam. Him and my the- dad had it out, though. There's no doubt about that. My dad was the oldest. Yeah. They constantly butt heads. And there's a deposition that tells a lot more. I, I don't really want to get into that right now. But there was a lot of stuff that helped me understand a little more of what my dad was about and the abuse that he had put up with. And right. he didn't have the luxury. Right that we did mark we we have some luxuries therapeutically in 12 step wise sure that me and you wouldn't be sitting here if we hadn't delved into i think i could speak for you anyway sure But. but when did you start to
0: sort of uh find that you were you know getting fucked up on your own but also sort of honoring your father's
2: legacy in a way um that started pretty early uh i think really i started smoking pot my sister was three years older so she would turn me on to stuff it was probably around 11 or 12 years old i'd visit my dad for weekends where was he living he was living in newport beach coast oh no tustin another yeah. town called tustin he had moved so you're real you're real fucking southern california kid really. yeah all over all over and my mother had left well, actually, he died of a heart attack, uh, Dr. Sigmund Lichter. He was working on his roof. He was roofing, which I thought was weird for a psychiatrist oh, or for and a Jew. He died of a heart attack? Yeah, very sad day. What do and you mean? He, your father was a Jew boxer. You know, you're gonna, well, that's you know. true, but he went to prison. I think you're forced...
0: And there's been plenty of, like, I used to think don't that get way me too.
2: Don't wrong, there's Jew laborers. There's, I was one. Jewish cops, there's Jewish That's gangsters, true. there's Jewish uh, plumbers. Jewish gangsters, for some reason, never surprised me. Because growing up with my father <laughs> yeah. and the people that he knew, right. they were all those guys. It was kind of like, you know, the killing of a Chinese bookie? Yeah. It was like when Seymour Cassell and his crew pulled yeah. up, I don't know the names, but it was like those kind of guys. We're out here in the valley? uh more mostly Beverly Hills. So it's those guys with Rolexes, maybe, right, I should right. say. Just rough Jews. Rough Jews. Yeah. And my dad had like Crips and Bloods working up there. They were like the bodyguards. Where? At the store? At the Yes, 9460 Wilshire Boulevard, 5th floor. That's where right above the Union this, Bank.
0: This is yeah. so he 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 closed the uh the front in Palm Springs.
2: <laughs> then he moved to Santa Ana, had a little gallery there. Actually, a big auction gallery. For jewelry, primarily. Jewelry, antiques, Keen paintings, Yamagatas, so he, Tiffany lamp. I mean, it just went on and where'd on. Where'd he get his shit? Was most of it real? Um, well, a lot of it was real. You know, <laughs> not the Renoir he sold for $400,000. But yeah, most of the stuff was real. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know staged diamond heists it just a lot it just goes on and on there's a whole book just on that What do you mean staged diamond heists Well like would have diamonds stolen while he was in New York and then have everybody take lie detector tests to see where they went like yeah. he would go through every possible stage of the insurance investigation yeah. in order to get the money for the diamonds and then would have sold them over here to somebody else Oh wow! That kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah really yeah. deeply entrenched in all of it. You real, know, come through, through come, criminal that? mind nonstop, <laughs> nonstop, and I. It took a lot for me to break that. But
0: like, but so at what, now, w- the dynamic. You know that that happens.
2: You know where where do you pick up steam? Where Where does the book start for you? The book starts uh, in 1991. One of the first stories I. I wrote was in 1991, and um, it was basically about the Air Force. I was in the Air Force guarding nuclear weapons, and I had a little crack relapse while I was there. And Well, when did you first get sober? The first time I got sober was in 1981. Yeah. I was in an 18-month youth program. For what? Oh, uh, they just made me a ward of the court they were like can you take him we can't deal anymore your Back mother then, was, had had enough and your... my mother had enough they made me what's called a ward of the court right we were living at oakwood garden apartments my mother was now with another the
0: furnished apartments with the where all yes. the
2: actors live different place then yeah heavy duty different place what not a place mean? for a 15 year old let's put it that
0: way oh really what was going on over there
2: um just a lot of orgies and quaaludes and a couple of shootings, uh-huh. like a real heavy R and B crowd, a uh-huh. real heavy like uh, rock and roll crowd, oh, some yeah. punkers, uh-huh. some aging, you know, yeah. um, wannabes, whatever right. it was. And uh, she was living now with this guy named Daniel Samuel Fagenbaum.
0: <laughs> she got she the, gets the guys with the good names. <laughs>
2: And he was like this guy that was a swinger up at the A-frame and had the briefcase filled with like amyl nitrate, oh my quaaludes, God. handcuffs, dildos. <laughs> <laughs> that guy? <laughs> Your mom knows how to pick them, huh? That guy. Yeah. And I had robbed him and I had robbed a bunch of places in the, compla- the what, did complex. did you steal his quaaludes? I stole his quaaludes. I stole a bunch of money and drove yeah. to Mexico in my mom's car. I was right. just really... like the really cheap version of less than zero. Right. Like if you moved it to Oakwood, you know right, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And um, they just couldn't take anymore. I mean, drug dealers and addicts and alcoholics and junkies and the people that were hanging around there were all angry. <laughs> <laughs> you, the kid, that kid's got to go. Right. It's right. Fucking the party up. Exactly. <laughs> so that was, it uh, so was were... 18 months. It saved my life. I wasn't happy from 16 and a half to 18 being in this, Place that I, if I left, I was gonna do three or four years in a juvenile, a really hardcore juvenile program. Yeah, And that would have been going right down the same road as my father, my right. real father.
0: Right. So. so you got out and you were clean? I
2: got out and I was clean and- You joined the military? I joined the military to get out of going to prison for a first degree burglary and a grand theft auto I picked up while I was coming over the uh, the border.
0: What was this after you got sober?
2: Uh, This was after I got out of the program. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of went ballistic and stole a bunch of more shit and took my mom's car and drove to Mexico. And I was actually gonna end my life in Mexico. I was 18 years old and I was just totally done. I was like, what am I gonna do?
0: I can't live like this anymore. you,
2: You stole shit to go sell in Mexico? No, I stole shit. It was, I stole I think about 10 grand in cash, maybe a quarter ounce of Coke and a bunch of pills that he had laying around, and I took my mom's car, which was really fucked. My mother was a visiting nurse, and she worked all over town, and all of her equipment and her files and everything yeah. were in there. And I shot down there, and I, I figured I'm gonna drink and drug and do what I have to do, and then I'm gonna drive off a cliff.
0: That was the plan. It sounded glamorous. Yeah,
2: It didn't work out that way. What happened? I drove back because I didn't have the balls to kill myself, of course. And you ran out of money? I didn't run out of money, oddly enough. <laughs> I just knew I Did had run to out come of blow? back. Did run out of blow that was a problem okay so you're right there was a motivation <laughs> couldn't get any down there couldn't find any drugs in mexico <laughs> you're right what the fuck? so you drove back and got busted i drove back and got busted they put me in a san diego men's correctional and the judge called me up it was there, think for the weekend my parents wanted to totally press charges and he said well what if we can get him to join the service And I was, it was weird. I know it's a weird thing. That's funny,
0: it's like, this guy's a problem, but maybe we can get him in the military. But isn't that, I feel like that's the thing. You know what I mean? Straighten him out.
2: Yeah, yeah. straighten him out. And um, I went and saw the judge, and that's what he said to me. He's like, um, okay, you have an option. You can do two to four years in prison. We got you, dead to rights. Good luck defending yourself. Yeah. Or you could join the military. Yeah, and like I was a stupid, I was a stupid kid. I didn't have a lot of awareness, right? So I told him, "Can I think about it?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was like I'll give you plenty of time to think about it <laughs> in jail. Yeah, and I went back, and there was uh, my cellmate was this really cool older black guy, seasoned criminal. This yeah. might have been the best father figure ever Mark. And that you had. Yeah, was that guy. Yeah, he said to me, "What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Go plead and get the fuck out of here. You're going down a dark road, kid." <laughs> So I pleaded and I ended up in the Air Force.
0: <laughs> You're going down a dark road, kid. <laughs> you know what I
2: mean? And I ended up joining the Air Force cuz that's the lightest of the four basically. Right. Less yeah. it's the less training. But then I did this heavy duty training and they made me a security policeman and I was guarding nuclear weapons. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then what happened? Oh god. You know, all went well for a while because I was up in a place that I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I was drinking, but talk about something that's so acceptable in the Air Force. Sure. I mean, pilots, everybody was drinking. Yeah. I'd see pilots shit-faced drunk that were flying around in (laughs) FB-111s with nuclear weapons uploaded. Come on. I'm not kidding you. When was this, 80 what? This was 84. Yeah. 85. Maybe they fixed that. I hope so. They shut that base down, so at least we know that's <laughs> <laughs> happening. <laughs> that was gone. Um, and I went up to Montreal and was on Saint Catherine Street, hanging out with you know strippers, and Dan- that was those were great times. Yeah. And I met the stripper who had the coke, and it was on. And it was like first I was like I'm. You not. were just on vacation. Uh, no, we we go out like a little. Li- they called it didn't call it Liberty, but that's what I'm calling it. We go up there and get the, the strong beer, you know, the good beer. Yeah, we like we're we were, we're in Plattsburgh. Oh, okay, New York. It's so yeah. about an hour right, and a right, half right, to right. Montreal. Got you know of, the yeah, spot. And um, I just knew it. It was gonna go wrong. I really knew a once stripper I met Coke. Her,
0: Canada. Okay, you, you had a vibe.
2: Yeah, there's a what could go wrong here. <laughs> But it's so deep down that it can go wrong. Because it's all saturated with the, the strippers and sure, the whores sure. and the euphoric recall. And this uh-huh. isn't going to be so bad this time. Yeah, yeah. And it started from there. And I started snorting coke. And then yeah. I started smoking coke. And then I was- In Canada? S- no, I came back down. I would go up there and get the coke and bring it da- back down. Yeah. And they love service men. I mean, you could have brought back anything from Canada. Right. You flash the the military ID, you're good to go. Yeah and there's what they called operation readiness inspections where you would be on post for yeah. about 18 hours guarding right. a bird with right. nuclear weapons uploaded. Yeah. And they would come around and ask you these questions. What's the ORI? Yeah. You know, oh that's operation readiness. What's the uh, two man policy? Well, that means one man can't be around the nuke at one time. Yeah. What's a covered wagon? Well, that means the nuke's been stolen and everything's going to shit like whatever it was. They would fire off these questions. And on one particular time I just remember being so fucking coked out, Mark. i had just taken a big blast <laughs> off the pipe. Here comes this general, a four star fucking general. Uh, with like these two lieutenants. Yeah. And I, I jacked around into my weapon because I was so freaked out. I'm like, if I fail this test, I think we're just I'm just gonna take him out and take myself out. Just crazy been up for days smoking Coke, drinking one fifty one, thinking Sure, that thing. Yeah
0: just that you know everyone
2: knows what that is. yeah no big deal <laughs> it's sad when you have to go all the way to 151 like i need the strongest and about 10 shots of it oh god and i was able to answer the questions and made it through and then somebody wrote a statement on me and i got busted a uh, pilot actually wrote a statement on me for selling him coke because he i guess it came up in his urine
0: oh you you took the hit
2: did he get the, the hit. hit too he disappeared. I don't know uh-huh. where he went. Uh-huh. I think he went to another base and probably is no longer flying planes. They just move
0: him around like priests. Yeah. Everyone knows this guy's a blow
2: monkey here. Right, send right. Him to, <laughs> send him to New Orleans. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Desert Storm? He's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Send him to right. right. um, So, yeah, that's, you know, it, I just never could be anywhere. So, is that a court martial without, or are you just out? No, I actually had... Uh, Uh, an independent lawyer because they have what's called the uniform code of military justice. Yeah. And if you get stuck in that, you're being railroaded right into Leavenworth. Uh huh. So I had a guy work for me and I got what was called a general under honorable conditions.
0: You know, what's funny is the way you talk about certain things. It's like, you know, you, you know, things that only a criminal would know. (laughs) So in that, so in that way, you're definitely your father's son. Oh, don't go with the, don't go with the military lawyer. You give you're gonna you're gonna smoke crack after three days awake
2: and get nailed. You got to get an outside lawyer. I love it. That's a great observation. I I don't see that stuff, but I used to look at everything through a criminal or a sex filter. One or the other, right? Because right. that was the two things I was fixing on. Yeah obviously getting loaded within those two things, but those are the things that I fix on in sobriety if I'm not careful, too. Like, what else is there? Of course, but, food, but.
0: Right, well, you and I share that one, you know, and uh, yeah. You're better at it than I am. But uh, but the whole getting loaded, the thing is, is like, what, you, you know, where did you, how many, like, what do you want now? What do you got, about six years now?
2: Yeah, six years, just over Again. six years. Six and a half years. I never had six years. Really? I never had that much time. No, I had three years, four years. Huh. Resentment, shame, or guilt are usually the things that take me out. And guilt can come in the form of not pulling off something that I thought I should have been able to pull off to be at a better place than I'm at at midlife, <laughs> if that makes any sense.
0: Well, I mean, I mean, what, what seemed like the last time, but you were always like you know high roller, right? I mean, it's like- It's been years.
2: It's but I mean, been years like, since I was, I
0: mean, when I met you- But like, what was going on? Like, I remember there were just, you tell me these stories about like, just, like, you know, all this cash and art and you had a nice house. Yeah. What were you doing then?
2: Well, those were all proceeds from dealing drugs. After Daniel Samuel Fagenbaum, I was grandfathered in Wait, This okay to so. a very exciting career in dealing pills. This was in 2000. He, he shot himself in 2000, actually.
0: He shot himself in 2000, Daniel, Daniel Samuel Fabian.
2: Horrible situation. He had bladder cancer, and he was a manic depressive. They had to take him off the lithium because it was a it's a salt and it's very hard on your bladder. So they take it off, take him off for a while. They refashioned or did some new operation where they basically built a bladder for him out of his colon, and he came back. Oh my god! I was intense. So this is after you hit the wall with the military this was years later this was probably 15 years after but
0: i mean so okay so you get out of 11 you don't go to leavenworth you get out of the military you're not court martialed do you clean up again
2: i clean up again i moved to new york city which was actually a really good time yeah in new york i was actually living on long island late 80s yeah 86 87 great time for like hip-hop yeah Pretty much the end of the punk rock era. Great new wave situation. You know, uh, Jean-Michel. Like, it was a really cool time in New York. And you were going to the city? I was going into the city a lot. I was hanging out with some pretty cool guys that I had met there. We were going to a lot of clubs. I was sober. But still a maniac. Getting into fist fights. You know, I beat down a cab driver. Like, just still a maniac. Because I never really dealt with that stuff and sobriety so abstinence for us is can be just as deadly right, right.
0: so when did you relapse <laughs> how did new york
2: end i re- <laughs> i moved back to la in 1990 yeah and my stepfather was really dealing heavily him and two jewish counterparts which one
0: was this which step this was of?
2: daniel dr dildo was his name back I, in the day but D- now he was like dr dan just dr dan okay. he had mellowed out from the a-frame days. right what is the a-frame <laughs> the a-frame is still there it's a house that's at the very top of mulholland it yeah. was famous for its 70s swing parties oh, okay. you know like the the keys in the bowl situation sure. um and i i realized i came back here and i relapsed again and i started taking money from him and i ended up in another rehab what was
0: the drug usually
2: i was smoking coke again that was your thing yeah that and he had a bunch of pills was taking xanax and valium
0: You're a free baser
2: base health. oh god yeah well when you say it like that yeah, yeah because that's the old school you know right richard prior before, Pryor. before, I before crack before way crack. before crack so
0: you had to base your own shit
2: i had to base my own shit it was clean i used 151 uh-huh. it burned really nice like <laughs> Ether. Ether was the real shit. Yeah. You know, it's so sick when when you're really so into a drug, like when I heard about Richard Pryor freebasing, yeah. like I wanted to know really how to do that was my right, hero, right. right? Yeah. I wanted right. to really know how to do yeah. this do and do, get into what's it. What's the chemistry? Yeah.
0: Do I need what equipment do I need? Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you figured it out. I figured it out. Yeah. And it was Broke that shit down. And a love hate relationship with smoking coke for about twenty nine years. Because
0: there's the there's the sort of ghetto way to freebase, which is with you know baking soda, and then you kind of
2: swirl it and swirl well, it. Well, that's not ghetto. No, that's also that's another form of freebasing. Even no. though they went from ether to baking soda, but the ammonia yeah. is the real ghetto way. That's like the really addictive crack shit that hit the streets. Uh-huh. And I found myself down there a lot when I couldn't get the coke I wanted. And then that whole thing started going downtown.
0: All right, but so wait, but th- but we're not there yet. So now you, <laughs> you got Doctor Dildos. Like you know, you he's he's dealing this is before he gets a bladder cancer. Right. You're smoking coke.
2: You smoking it with him? No, no, he was totally clean and sober. Oh. But so what happened? So you're stealing from him to. to- Stealing from him. They find out I'm stealing. He kept a safe under the stairs with like 180 grand in it. And I started, you know, by the way, if nobody believes this, feel free to ask my mother. You know her. (laughs) Goes Um, In Mexico. (laughs) That's that's something else. Yeah. She's not hiding out, I promise. Um, And I started taking money. And one day when they had to come up with some money for a situation that occurred, they looked into the safe under the stairs. And there was a lot of money missing. Yeah. And I'd been living off that money. And then he wouldn't talk to me for years. Uh, I went back and made amends to him years later. And in between that, I worked in a film laboratory. I worked at Color by Deluxe. I worked at uh, Technicolor. Oh, you weren't
0: selling drugs? I
2: sold a little pot. Oh,
0: oh. So so there, after New York, you know, you, you came took, here. Yeah,
2: took the money. Took the money. Got fucked Just up Just a lot coke. of scandalous shit. I was doing like credit card scams and whatever workman's comp well you know what do you got let's see how we can work this credit card scam i uh had a a crew of guys that would break into those big mailboxes at like apartments and stuff (laughs) crack those open (laughs) you're that guy and just strip through everything and find the cards and just send a crew of about 10 guys out and go on a shopping spree and And usually bring the stuff back yeah fence it or nordstrom's was really good they would always take stuff back and give you cash usually so Uh
0: And this is primarily for money or for for drug money
2: it was for money and drug money but i i did i hate to admit this but i did stuff like that sober too just because i didn't want to work and i had this idea that like why not
0: you know You're i had to be very criminal
2: criminal <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sitting in your garage talking to you You're about it fucking and criminal. not in jail i know you know
0: so wait so wait. Wh- so when did um okay so so that's so, but you did have a
2: job. I had a job and yeah. I've had jobs over time, but like the the ind, the film industry job ended very quickly when Danny got cancer. Cause he brought me in as like a partner to help him sell his pills. He had a bunch of people up and down the coast. So he was a drug dealer. People. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big time. Dr. Dan. Yeah. he had He had doctors. He had been working probably for 10 or 15 years. For the scripts. Yeah. So now you got now he needs a partner cuz he's sick. He's he needs a partner cuz he's sick. So he needs to bring the kid in. Bring the kid in. He robbed me, he did whatever, but we don't have any choice. Yeah, he's Can't a go criminal, the family. He's a criminal. He knows. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Who else are you going to trust? Not his kids, believe me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I started like doing the whole situation, going to pharmacies. Then of course, I got strung out and I started stealing prescriptions from doctors and writing my own... Pads, you stole the pads? I stole the pads, and I stole triplicates, which are the ones they use for, like, cancer medications, Dilaud, and stuff and like that. And you figured out how to write the <laughs> scripts. Well, my mother was a nurse, so it was usually... I knew how to write what they call the Greek. Yeah, You know, the Greek is the prescription yeah. wording. And I got back on that train again, man, and what it was were you a taking? nightmare. What were you doing? I was probably... It was so many different things. But my I like to snort Dilaudid. That yeah. was my favorite. Yeah. yeah. That, like that a little Percodan, a little Soma, Xanax. It Crunch was just, it, Dilaudid up. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, take the edge off with some crack. Because I tried to find that place. You know, Mark, sure. that place. The crack, dilauded place? place? Yeah. yeah. Were you just good? I was good for a while. I took the drug proceeds. I invested in the market. I did pretty well. But you
0: were running up and down the coast selling, you know, delivering Not up and shit. down the coast.
2: There was a guy in Santa Barbara. There was a guy in Orange County. So, yeah, basically. And um, were, they, were they dealing or they were just buying? They were just buyers. Big buyers. Yeah. Big buyers. I would go up to Santa Barbara and this guy would buy $6,000 worth of drugs every month. Like clockwork. And then I was like, hey, do you think you could put me on the books as a salesman? I'm having a problem, you know, what? washing the money. Yeah. So he did that. And of course, he expected a better deal. And we worked oh, for his out. company. You're yeah. a salesman. Oh, yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, I had him. God, I had a bunch of people. I had a mattress salesman. I don't <laughs> want to talk about his name, but it was a bunch of different people. A guy had their own Galpin Ford. Not his name wasn't Galpin. But I had got these really crazy accounts. I was probably after... All my expenses I was probably doing 20 25 grand a month and this is uh, in the 80s this is actually in the mid to late 90s into the early 2000s yeah
0: so he's so when does he when does Dan get sick when do you hit the wall so you so what you're saying to me is you're making a lot of money this is the the golden age here right? Yes. This is where you buy the my yard. ex-wife
2: used to call it, the house that Percodan built.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is when you buy the house. This is when you're going to go legit. Yeah, I'm going to go
2: legit. I'm uh-huh. going to really do the right thing. Uh-huh. I got this great you got life. all this drug money. I got this great drug money. I, I got some friends on Wall Street. I'm learning how to invest. It's the tech boom. There's great stocks. you Everything. making money? I'm making money. I'm trading stocks. I'm making money. I have a shitload of cash and some drugs I put in a box. Yeah, in San Fernando Valley in these boxes was called American Data Vault you could get a personal box under an assumed name and stash a bunch of stuff in so there that was your, that was your emergency <laughs> that was my getaway Is yeah I had still a, there I had a fake identity in there you did Yeah, uh, Robert Haskup was the guy's <laughs> You had a passport? No, I had, uh, no, I didn't have a passport uh-huh. because I couldn't have left the country with all that money <laughs>
0: anyway. So you had a bunch of money, a bunch of drugs, and and some
2: identification, yeah, for another guy, for another guy, in case, just in case. Is it still out there? Uh, no. Actually, the Patriot Act closed those places down. American Data Vault was shut down. There was three of them. There was one under the World Trade Center. There was one here, and I think there was one in Orange County. But after the Patriot Act, you were not allowed to have those anonymous boxes. <laughs> It was you have such a, a sad day. Do you have guns in there? I had a uh, forty-four Magnum. I had a Sig Sauer three eighty. I never used guns, but I, I just to be on the safe side. In the box, a yeah. Of yeah guns in the around. box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you grew up with guns, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, my dad had them, but right, you know, and, and they were legal, yeah, yeah. But so, all right, so 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 you bought the house. You got your your, your escape plan. You got right. money. You're buying art. You had a nice craftsman.
2: Yeah, right up here on Wildwood. Yeah, yeah. And when, oh, really? Right up there? Right on Wildwood. That vaulted, the uh-huh. rounded. I don't know if you've seen that one at the very top. Up here? It's like a Neutra yeah. case study home. Oh, yeah? Yeah, great wife. Everything was going good. No and kids. Just, no kid. No kid. You're Couple sober.
0: This is around when I met you or no? Before? No, no just before. No, this is before.
2: Just before. Yeah. Just before it all yeah. went south. So when And what she came home and caught me smoking crack in the bathroom. I was trapped in the bathroom. She said, "If this happens again, we're done." She came home a couple of months later. Same thing happened. And I was she's like, sober. She's not sober, but she was not like she was not like yeah. me at all. Yeah. If anything, probably had some on stuff going right. On. And came home again and said, "You need to go to detox." So I went into Cry Help to a detox. I left there after a couple of days. I didn't like the way the detox was going. Uh-huh. Uh, that's a story in there. It's called enterprise will pick you up uh-huh. they picked me up from the detox and rented me and a guy that i met in there a car and the ca- just, oh, really yeah, yeah they'll pick you up <laughs> wherever you are it's great I, it was a pleasant experience really yeah um and ended up going to a yet another rehab this place promises out in west la and you know, we tried to work it out, but she was so done. You know when people are done, and you're just
0: oh, do I know when people are done? Yeah, I do. I, I know the I know the exact look of when people are done. I know the moment it happens.
2: <laughs> it's yeah, you're good. Yeah, I think you're better sure. at that and than you, I am. And if you you're really, less delusional in that world. And if you really think
0: about it, well, it only has to
2: happen a couple of times. Dude. Yeah, that's true.
0: That's true. And, and 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 you know, and the thing is, is that when you when you see that look, it, it's the there's no nothing you can do. No. No. not, no, you've, you've,
2: you've burnt. Oh, no more resources. No. no, no more bullshit. You're right. No dance is going to change no. it. No amount of money, that's for sure. Oh yeah. No promises. Yeah. Oh yeah. no, money. that's true. Yeah. Money. So money. all right. So what happens? Thank you for taking me down this timeline because it's so jumbled in my goddamn head sometimes. So I went there. I went to the sober living of Promises and that's when I got the call from American Data Vault that look, you gotta come and get everything out of your vault, we're shutting down and I couldn't go home. So I had probably about $700,000 in there. Get the fuck out of here. Why would I lie to you? Right. I didn't have any drugs in there. I had the phony ID, but I was like, all right, I'm not gonna have to go anywhere. This is, I'm gonna figure out a way to do this. Can the IRS come after me? I don't know. Anyways, I I I don't give a shit. I bring the money back to the sober living. My roommate, nobody knows about it. I have it it. in a duffel bag. Yeah. It's in a, like one of those big like college bags that you would wear, put your computer. It's a big bag. It's a big backpack. Yeah. And I have a roommate who's working for a major production company. And I ask him if he can put me on the books as an associate producer producer. And I give him like six to eight grand a week. And he writes me checks and I slowly start legitimizing some of this money once again. Yeah, And I just continue to do things like that, and my wife leaves me, and I go on yet another crack run. And it's really bad, it's really bad. It's another really bad one. Thank God it only lasted a couple of months. Where is Where'd the money go? Still had a lot of money. Still had a lot of money in stocks, still had a lot of cash, yeah. and I bought that house yeah. that I was living in. The Wildwood House? Which happen? was a big mistake. The Wildwood House? No, Edgecliff, right in oh, yeah. the center of Silver Lake. Oh, that right, was in right. 2005. And oh, I right knew it was a big it? mistake.
0: Right in the middle of the peak the peak of the fucking
2: market? Well, here's what my delusional mind told me. If I buy this house yeah. and set it up really nicely, me and my wife will be back together and we'll have a rental. Oh, yeah. So, yeah you know? Yeah, right, yeah. So yeah, I lost everything, because I didn't have that hustle anymore. Right. Obviously I couldn't sell pills, right. that was done. Yeah. I couldn't really trade stocks, because the pills had given me that pinache to yeah. do that. Yeah, And everything just started swirling the drain, man. Uh, and it was a long, it, it started in about 2008, and it ended in 2010 when I had to short sell the house. And I went through like years of poverty living. I know. And shitty jobs. And getting excited about a script that yeah. I got paid for, and I know th- which was a great experience. Now that I look at it, you know this is an amazing thing to be here. And I was thinking of stuff that even comes close to this. Yeah, and it was doing uh, an improv jam with Robin Williams oh. two nights in a row, dude. Oh, at UCB, yeah. When he was relapsing, when he was relapsing, he was just a big sweaty mess. Yeah, but, like what an experience. Because you were doing, uh, you were doing a lot of storytelling stuff, a lot of storytelling, and and improv really helped my storytelling right. it really helped put things in perspective. It put a positive twist on a lot of areas in my life because I was just so dark and negative all the time. Yeah.
0: But you were so, trying to, you were trying to like, you know, once you got through the, the poverty and once you got, you know, sort of got back on your feet, you were coming up with a lot of stuff, some pitches. You had the, the diamond uh, store.
2: Pitch. Yeah. That's still, that's kind of out there circulating the Marcus and company. That's the story about my dad. And that's, we'll see who knows but i have that i have the you know the other one i was telling you i don't want to mention on here but that one oh the one yeah yeah <laughs> is it still out there actually just got some really good notes from oh, uta really? oh, yeah good, so good, it's pretty good. exciting it's oh, pretty good. exciting um and then there's this other movie i'm working on now about my adventures of being a sober companion we're actually shooting it
0: oh the sober companion stuff that's
2: crazy oh, so good you're gonna love this thing. You're gonna like this is but the thing. That's, kind of a, that's right a real job
0: you do. I think it, like that's something like I, I, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, that's a job. Like, you know, you get hired by people with money to basically stop them from
2: putting things into their fucking mouths or their arms or whatever. Right. What you're really stopping them from doing is killing themselves because they're all gonna get loaded. They always get loaded.
0: I but mean, the, that, weird the thing the, is, is, the there's, message
2: there's, I got from this guy's dad was keep him alive Which and oh. out of new york i can't tell you Oh yeah, what right, it's, right but like uh, they had a, a client yeah their okay. client and i went back to new york with him and it was just it was overwhelming like i've known people we all know people yeah. with money but this is like yeah. one percenter shit yeah yeah where like they're hosting hillary and Clinton you were hired parties. by his father to i was hired through a company by the father yeah. to do that yeah
0: so, but that but it's an interesting job because it's not so much about like you know the program it's it's really about like you know like this guy's he's on a death spiral yeah and yeah. you i mean you want them to be going to mean he's supposed to take on to meetings he's supposed right. to do whatever but right. but it's not it's not it's not necessarily like this is not program uh, condoned employment
2: no it has nothing to do with a yeah. 12 step program right. whatsoever and when you are working with a guy who's you know in his mid-40s, and really all he wants to do is impress his parents to get the trust fund, the Lamborghini, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Range Rover right. back. It's it's frightening, and there is I think there is a disease of affluence, some people call it white privilege, whatever it may be, that really drives that when huh. somebody like this guy was brought up in this ridiculous amount of money, Mark, like...
0: So you, you so you work on a on a film pitch about being a sober companion? I well actually it. I I, it. I, I found it. a
2: group of yeah. millennials. These guys are amazing. They help me do so much creative stuff and we've already started shooting stuff. We've got a proof of concept and a trailer. Oh, yeah. oh great. Yeah, I'll send it when you have time. I know All you're right. not busy now, but yeah, I got a great group of guys. And there.
0: you got a good girlfriend now, wife? A wife.
2: You're married. It's nice. She's and so amazing. I really... If there is a God, she's a God. Well, I
0: was very surprised at how you, like, you know, watching you arc through those lean times and even lending you money it, in the back of my head thinking, oh. like, what the fuck? Daddy? I'm never going say And you were very, very sober about getting it back to me. Of course. And, and it was, you know... There were some
2: issues there, but I learned an important lesson. Your friendship's way more important to me. Like, I would rather be not having money and maybe living in the car than ever borrow money from a close friend again. I don't want to go through that.
0: Well the funny thing was is that when I did it, you know, people always tell you it's like, no, you don't expect to say get it Say goodbye to that. But not just you, anybody. Right, of course. Of you know, course. and I don't know why I never thought that way, but they they basically people say if someone has if someone needs money that badly, right. you're not gonna get back. Exactly. And exactly. I've dealt with that with family members and stuff. Right. And like I didn't want to accept it with you for some reason. And for some reason, whether it was belligerence because, you know, it did kind of cause a ripple in our friendship,
2: but yeah. you're like, fuck him. I'm going to
0: pay him back. Right, right, right. <laughs> did I, was I like that? I, no, but I'm wondering if I like was. No, fun. it
2: wasn't like that. I think there was actually more guilt about ever asking you and getting it in the first place. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I learned early on not to loan people money. Well, that's the thing. You yeah. grow up with a criminal. You learn not to loan. And if you do, you have a guy that, you know, goes and collects it and deals with it the right way. <laughs> well, like, when did your father die? He just passed. Last year, actually, I got to send you the picture of this the headstone. It's unbelievable. What does there's it say a, again? You know, it's a line out of a uh, Frank Sinatra. You know, the, yeah. the song "My Way." Right. And there's an auctioneer's gavel and a Rolex on right. the top of it, which is so perfect. And that's his
0: wife. His, his last wife did
2: that. Yeah, yeah. Who's you know? What she's... was the line? And through it all the tears through the laughter yeah, yeah, i did it my way right, i'm right. like okay there was a lot of laughter i don't remember the tears but right.
0: okay <laughs> But what did you, like, you know, in, you know, like in writing the book, which is called Number One Son and Other Stories by Michael Marcus, you can get it on Amazon,
2: huh? Yeah, I'll get it through Punk Hostage Press. Punk Hostage and Press. And there's a link to Amazon, yeah. But, but
0: like, you, you know, in, in having the issues we have, like I've met your mother, she's come to see me work, you know, and, and I know that, you know, your sister's death brought you two together in, 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 a, in a deeper way. Absolutely. And she's got a lot of sober years. Mm-hmm. Mom. And she's a great lady. I met her but you know when you have an unrepentant father who who degenerated yeah right yeah like where did you leave it when he was conscious do you know like how like what happened to that relationship was there any
2: uh there was a little closure if that's what when asking. he died but like what what was your relationship before he died i'll tell you um he was in a convalescent home for dementia and alzheimer's yeah people patients And about three years into that, God, he was there for a long time. I think he was there six or seven years. I went to visit him and I hung out in the room with him. There was like two beds and he had his own room. Yeah, I was just kind of on the computer. I had jet lag. It was in Atlanta. And he woke up in the middle of the night and he said, Michael, Michael. And I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. I I just want to apologize for everything I did to you and your sister. I kicked you to the curb through your drug problems I took your mother's checks and never gave her child support. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. And he went back to sleep. And I was like, if this is, that it? is as good as it gets, <laughs> I guess it's a little better. <laughs> and that carried me. It fucking carried me. And then when he died, this 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 blossom of rage occurred that I, I really needed to get help with. Really? Yeah, I think it was also the fact that I was working that sober companion job. And I think that that kind of brought up some, re-triggered some trauma watching the dynamic between this guy and his dad and this guy and his family in general. Uh And I probably should have taken some time off Uh and just, you know, been proper about the grief and chill out. But I didn't leave the job. I just think a lot of things were triggered. I think that I definitely held on to some trauma and some stuff that I didn't even realize. And then when my dad was gone, it was like... It, it, it came up like, like what,
0: what form did it take um it is, came up the, re, is that when you relapsed no 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 this was you went through this all sober yeah man i know i, I right because we were we were having a problem me and you when he died and then we didn't get to talk about it till after i think right that's
2: right and i had to put the dog down i was down <sighs> the street i was mad at you because you didn't call me back i was putting my t- <laughs> you know how i was with my dogs Yeah, yeah like those were my last thread to my emotional Beauty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. when they were we had gone. a long time, yeah, yeah. I just shut down, you yeah. know, and um, uh, I think it really came in the form of just completely shutting down, not being emotionally so lucky to you to my didn't wife. Fucking
0: relapse? How did you
2: not relapse? I don't know, Mark. I kept going to meetings. I went to therapy. I just, I just kept doing this. Knowing your history, yeah, and I had a lot of money. I was making. You know, you make good and money doing that job yeah. man they pay you a thousand dollars a day yeah, whatever yeah. it is i don't know something must have happened that's, that's the that's the magic of the program a grace it's grace yeah we get carried somehow through something that has nothing to do really with our actions i really believe that you could take all the action in the world yeah if you're obs- if you have an obsession to get loaded do crazy sex shit yeah eat a fucking sheet cake it's yeah. gonna happen yeah. <laughs> Not like a sheet cake
0: and Ben and Jerry's. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I. But did you do EMDR? I didn't. I didn't. I really would like to experience that. I have not done that yet. I know I'll talk to him. But but how did you like? What did you do to process? Then what did you track it to? What
0: did you track it to? Like you know, you go in, you shut down. You you know the rage and like I can't be pretty with a guy like you. The rage, you're gonna. You're at the verge of wrecking your marriage or
2: your the relationship. It, It was. I mean, it wasn't you know what the thing is is when i get that shut down it's just i want to be alone so yes i was at the verge of wrecking it in the form of just bowing out ungracefully and being like i need to be alone which mm. has been my thing in every relationship yeah. when something re-triggers that kind of trauma right that mommy did right. that dad did right. that kind of shit so you had it from
0: both sides i mean you're kind of on your own You both your parents were kind of
2: yeah spun out yeah totally up. spun out and between you know between my dad and my mom i had like nine different mother and father figures you yeah. know between their boyfriends girlfriends marriages right. whatever so what does that look like it, it, it looks like it looks like going to therapy it looks like not sharing really in meetings i never took this stuff to meetings i yeah. just didn't feel comfortable with right. it right especially family familial stuff sure. dad mom stuff um but you started doing the alan on more too yeah that really helped that really helped yeah and I also just accepted that I'm going to be a tightly wound fucking guy sometimes, man, and there's no way out of it.
0: But you don't have to be a criminal. You don't have, you to, don't be have to be a criminal,
2: an emotionally abusive freak. No. No, I don't. I got to tell you something, man. You've you probably don't know it, but you've definitely inspired me over oh. the years because I remember before you started this, I think <laughs> you were having some suicidal ideations. Oh god, dude. I was going spiral oh, in the drain, man. Yeah. Sitting yeah. out there on
0: that porch on that
2: patio on that deck right there it's writing things down calling everybody yeah dude that's not good man right fuck her right of course and what do we do i mean we get through that in some way shape or form you do you do yeah it's like you don't and there's no way to know it no that you're going to no there is no way to know it it's and so, sometimes it's just walking like i i walk so horrible it's so horrible just to feel that you can't sleep right
0: you know you're just fucking beating the shit out of yourself right. you're full of rage you can't function socially right
2: yeah you know, ugh. You, know you know before i be- i met my wife a friend of mine lived in vietnam a couple other guys from the program were going every year they'd go to angkor wat they would do like really cool spiritual stuff right yeah i was like that sounds like a good thing yeah why don't i go to uh, southeast asia as a yeah. single man yeah. like and i wasn't thinking that mark <laughs> i
0: promise compulsively <laughs> compulsive sex problem single man
2: and i i definitely had a spiritual awakening to one of the, like the grossest fucking bottoms i'd ever hit <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> in sexual addiction. Like, it's so funny, when you're in Southeast Asia and you're doing all this crazy sexual behavior and I I just met women everywhere and it wasn't even like prostitutes. It was hanging out in internet cafes. Hey, let's go to dinner. Let's go back to the hotel. It was so open and cool and very Buddhist. Yeah. Like, you're there and that's totally cool.
0: Framing it as a spiritual experience. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah.
2: You you go to Angkor Wat, you're sitting with a monk. Yeah. Then later on, you're meeting this girl in a cafe. Yeah. It's just... It felt so natural there, but when you're coming through customs at LAX yeah. and you're back in America and you're back in like our place, yeah. Yeah. the guilt and shame was so thick yeah. and it lasted a while. yeah, And that fixing on sex on that level, yeah. like whether it was prostitutes or massage parlors yeah. or fuck going down Figueroa. At, you know, after a meeting and picking up a girl in a corner right. was removed. it was totally removed yeah. now, is that because of the level of shame and guilt that I don't want to re-experience? I think it's a lot more than that mm-hmm. I think there's something that separates me from that because my last bottom with anything will not remind me not to do that thing again. Do you know what I mean? I no, I get you, but yeah but there but
0: but there is something to. To like once you get the space to integrate, you know, the shame and to uh you know make an amends or let that shit go a bit, wisdom does kick in. We're we're middle aged guys for yeah. fuck's sake. Yeah. And and we're sober guys. So, you know, once you find you're 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 fucking compulsive in this other area, at least you know the framework of how it works.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. So so maybe it is nippeting in the bud before really falling for that trick well, those, again.
0: Yeah, but those things, right? You know, the things with sex and food is that you you need them both. Yeah. You know, your booze and drugs you don't need either. That's true. That's so true. so you're negotiating with that stuff, and I think that as we get space and as you get older and as you're not fucked up on the other stuff, you're like,
2: that that, that got a
0: little out of hand.
2: Right, right, like, right. That
0: almost went to bad
2: place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I. I, I I think you're right. Between doing the work, whatever the work looks like, whether it's some therapeutic stuff or just an accountability thing I do with a couple of guys on a thread every day. right. And you know just
0: a little more self-care and the obsession does get lifted but the yeah. weird thing with any of them they can get reactivated yeah and you know with porn or with with sex or whatever you know you, you it's not the same as going to buy crack or smoking bait you know it's no, not the it's same as not going to get dope no or, or getting fucked up on booze you don't have to leave your house yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> right? yeah you, you gotta create your own little you don't have to there's no you don't need anything you don't need to put anything into the system no other than into your fucking eyeballs right right and then and then you just got a little shame portal, a little shame compartment.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't want to go down that road again. I don't. I don't want to go back. Well, I'm glad you're still alive, man. I'm glad you're doing all right. I am too, and I really appreciate this. Can I give a little shout out? Not a shout out. Can I tell people when the uh, the launch party is? It's one twenty one eighteen at Stories Books Cafe, January twenty first, twenty eighteen. Yeah, definitely. And uh, congrats on the book. Thank you. All right, buddy.
0: Thanks, buddy. Well, that's it. That's our little uh, our little uh, in-between Christmas and New Year's show. Monday show will be a special collection of moments with my family. Spend New Year's Day with the Marons. On Thursday, we'll have our first new show of 2018 with Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, great conversation. So, uh, do I play guitar now? Do I? Do I? Do I play a little? All right, all right, all right. I'll turn it on. Okay, I, I'll do a little. careful out there.